This is Judy Herman, advocate for authentic humanity, counselor, and author of Beyond Messy Relationships. You are listening to Hashtag POD Podcasts of Dentistry with Dr. Panks. dentistry.com slash squadcast. I believe everyone has a story to tell. And if you want to start a podcast to tell your story, the easiest way to start one is Squadcast. No special hardwares, no special softwares needed for you or your guests. You simply start podcasting using any laptop or desktop or Android phone and even a Chromebook in a browser like Chrome, Firefox, Opera, brave. So, you may ask, how do you do it? Well, it's simple. As a host, you simply schedule an interview on your dashboard. Share that particular link to the guest and hit record to get studio quality audio. Done. No sign-ups needed by your guests, no special mics needed by anyone and still get studio quality audio. There can be up to four people at one time, including the host. You can even see the video of your guests. Connect any earphone or headphones with mic and you're golden. When you're done, simply stop recording and everything with separate tracks is automatically uploaded on your dashboard, ready to download in no time. Most of the basic audio editing is also automatically done when you download. Do I not make any sense? Well, they do have demo videos on their website to show you exactly how it is done. I did use the support and they have best-in-the-class support. They are so confident in their services that they have even compared their services with other competitors. Another thing that gives me peace of mind is redundancy. That means that even if there is some error, you can still get the backup of all the recordings sent to you in your email through your dashboard. So, if you really like the idea of starting your own podcast, podcastofdentistry.com slash Squadcast. The subscription starts only at $10 per month. You can cancel anytime through your account without making any calls or any change of emails. Super easy. Once again, to support this show, simply go to podcastofdentistry.com slash Squadcast. Give it a try. Thank you for finding time to listen to session number 20 at Hashtag POD, Podcasts of Dentistry. And I'm your host, Dr. Pang Stinger. As usual, you can find all the links and notes to this session at podcastofdentistry.com slash session 20. Today, our guest is Dr. Kyle Stanley. His bio reads something like this. Dr. Kyle Stanley was named as the next generation of cosmetic dentistry by the AACD in 2015 and top 10 young educators in dentistry by the Seattle Study Club. He graduated magna cum laude from the Hermann's Ostra School of Dentistry of USC and then completed a dental implant residency along with a dental implant specialty in Brazil. While at USC, Dr. Kyle completed an aesthetic mini residency with the world leader Dr. Pascal Manier and was honored with the Charles L. Pincus Award for Outstanding Achievements in Aesthetic Dentistry by the American Academy of Aesthetic Dentistry. 
He's also a dedicated researcher who has published in some of the top international dental journals about topics related to aesthetics, dental implants, and smile design. Dr. Stanley is a KOL for many well-respected companies and has presented on five continents as a highly in-demand speaker. Dr. Stanley is a leading advocate of mental health in dentistry. He maintains an exclusive private practice in Beverly Hills, California. Now, that is a long list of achievements. In our podcast, he talks about his experience with Guide, shares his experience of how to go about starting your own implant journey, his triad of mentors. I believe he is a perfect example of luck and hard work coming together in a very successful way. We also touch on successful implant concepts like zero bone loss by Thomas Linkovich and the world-renowned The Lip Factor. We certainly talk about his AI company called Pearl, the effect of AI or artificial intelligence in dentistry as a profession and the future of dentistry because of AI. By now, you might feel anxious, at least I was, listening to and hearing about his accomplishments in such a short span of time that I had to humanize him. There were few emotional moments and that clearly shows the human side of him. We continue towards the end by asking my favorite Tim Ferriss inspired questions. In the end, I really love the spirit of inspiration, entrepreneurship, humility, and vision. I hope you love this evergreen podcast the way I did. So without further ado, Dr. Kyle Stanley. I can go in uh, many different directions, uh, especially sure. with, with you. Uh, but few things that really interest me and probably my audience too is uh, two journeys uh, one is your entrepreneurship journey with Pearl, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and digital smile design and, yeah. you know, so, uh, everything, everything, getting funding for Pearl and so on. Um, yeah. In short, artificial intelligence in dentistry. Yeah. So that's one aspect. And the second aspect is the clinical aspect. You know, I would love to touch base on the clinical aspect too, because you do some amazing things in dentistry in cosmetic dentistry. Um, Thank you. Uh, so I, I would like to touch both of them, uh, or at yeah. least at least the entrepreneurship journey to begin with. Uh, I love that aspect. You okay. know, yeah. Uh, Either way is fine. I, I, well, by the way, I listened to your interview with uh, Dr. Howard Ferran. Uh, yeah, people should listen to that interview. It was really good uh, about artificial intelligence, how that w- that uh, that was involved. Uh, so I would recommend that um, for people. Thank you. Now. Let's start a little bit. I want to know your story. So you graduated from USC, right? Yeah. And now out of USC, how did you end up being in Beverly Hills, right? <laughs> with <laughs> with uh, your partners, Helm, Najad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How, did you, how did you get into uh, with them? Yeah, sure. So while I was at USC, I studied under a guy named Pascal. Galmanier, who is, you know, a pretty famous dentist in the bonding, minimally invasive, restorative, cosmetic type of treatments. Mm-hmm. He's from Switzerland. And me and Dr. Najad were actually both in his uh, special program, which was called the Aesthetic Selective, where he selected, I think it was 10 or 12 students and worked very closely with them. So for about 18 months, we worked really closely with Dr. Manier. Hmm. And then when we graduate, well, let me go back, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While I was there, I told Dr. Manier that I wanted to learn implants. And he said, well, if you want to learn implants, the best place to learn is in Brazil. 
So I moved to Brazil. I learned Brazilian Portuguese, and I did my implant residency, implant specialties in Brazil. Okay, so, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Yes. Um. So you were still a student that time. I was still a student at that time. So it was my senior year. I was deciding what I wanted to do next. If I wanted to start practicing, if I wanted to do more training, and I decided I wanted to do more training, more in the surgical implant realm. Hmm. I I talked to Dr. Manier because he was my really my only mentor at that point. And that and, uh, so Dr. Pascal Manier was at USC with you. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he was a professor there, and right. still is a professor there. Okay. Great. Okay. So, so your mentor, Dr. Pascal, recommended you to go to Switzerland to do your implant. To Brazil, uh, actually. Oh, to Brazil. Sorry, to, to Brazil. Brazil. Yes. Um, yeah. So I went down there. I was there for a little over a year. Okay. And did a, got a lot of really hands-on clinical training in extraction, bone grafting, perio, pros. Really, it's kind of a perio pros type of mm-hmm. type of residency where. We're doing the implants, but we're also doing the extractions. We're also doing the sinus lifts. We're doing the tissue grafts, and we're restoring the teeth as well. Interesting. So then I, I came back, and I was teaching in the clinic with Dr. Manier, and who was also teaching was my partner from um, from dental school, Dr. Najad. Okay. And we were always talking. At the time, he had his own practice, hmm. we were, and I was working for a bunch of different people. We were talking and we always said, oh, you know, at some point we should do a practice together where, you know, he would say you could do a lot of the, the implant and, and um, you know, surgical stuff and he could do more of the restorative stuff. Mm. We ended up finding our, our practice in Beverly Hills and partnering up with, with Dr. Helm. So that was, mm. um, I guess, seven years ago Okay, that okay. we've been at that practice. Yeah, so that was how it all came together, was teaching at USC together and um, always talking about business and always talking about the future and what we could do. Got it. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, so basically, Dr. Uh, Dr. Pascal is the is instrumental in, in getting you... Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. He, he was the glue. You know, he got me into my residency in Brazil. He introduced me to really my next mentor as well okay. and helped me get started on the the lecturing journey as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, so how, which university or program did you go, go to in Brazil? In Brazil, I went to the Universidade de Santa Catarina. Universidade Federal de Santa Catarina. So it's the <laughs> university, the Federal University of Santa Catarina, which okay. is in the south of Brazil okay. in a, a city called Florianopolis, okay. which is a, an amazing, beautiful city. It's an island connected by a bridge uh, with 42 different beaches and uh, beautiful people. Wow. And the department that I was in was called Sepiji, which is uh, an implant department. Ah, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Now that, that, that all adds up, because I was trying to read about that, and I couldn't really, like, how this guy is in, <laughs> you know, in Beverly Hills, for of all the places in the world, you know, one of the best places to be, and right. doing, you know, do higher-end uh, dentistry. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so you're doing aesthetics, you're doing um, uh, implants, obviously, um, mm-hmm. and Dr. Helm is doing the restorative part. Right, Dr. Uh, Helm and Dr. Najad do more of the, I would say, tooth-based restorations, and I'm doing more of the kind of perioprost type of of cases. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that involve implants or involve, um, you know, crown lengthening or things like that. Whenever sure. there's 
some type of surgical element, that's yeah. where I come in. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And uh, so after Dr. Pascal, who was your second mentor? Yeah, so good question. My, so Dr. Manier introduced me to my second mentor, who is Sasha Jovanovic. Oh, Sasha Jovanovic. Exactly. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I know. Very famous periodontist, trained in prosthetics as well. Um, you know, lectures all around the world. One of the premier speakers on bone regeneration, implant dentistry. He was one of those guys that, you know, 30 years ago was doing studies on dogs and figuring out what's the best way to grow bone. So I'm very lucky to have studied with, with Sasha now for about 10 years. Wow. And we, we teach together, we've practiced together because I, I practiced as well at his at the Guide Institute. And I'm just lucky to call him a friend and a mentor as well. Great. Yeah, so I think you really got lucky with two great mentors. Um, well, yeah, and then I got a third mentor. Ooh, okay, great. So, <laughs> so my third mentor, everybody knows, who is Christian Coachman. Oh, yes. You know, inventor of DSD. DSD. So when you take these three great men together, mm. you have Pascal, who's kind of this restorative, you know, very science-based mentor. Right. You have Sasha, who is implant and surgically based and then you have christian who is kind of digital science laboratory bringing everything together that i was just very lucky to to call these people my friends and call them my mentors and i really owe every any success that i may have to them great great um <clears throat> i've always um um i've always listen to uh, Dr. Sasha's interview, uh, not interviews, what I meant, Dr. Sasha's uh, uh, lectures. Uh, I yes. do have um, one of my friends, he was at Guide and, you know, studied yeah. at Guide and that's how I knew about Guide too. Uh, yeah. Great. I mean, for people who don't know Guide, it's, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it's uh, uh, it's funded by Noble Biocare, right? Um, and yeah, they do have some sponsorships from, from, from some different companies, yeah. Right. So, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's uh, an implant institute and where the great uh, mentors and great teachers called GIDE, uh, based in Los that's Angeles. That's right. Right. Yeah. So um, for somebody who doesn't know, please check them out. Really, really great. I've got yeah, heard good really things about high it. level, high level teaching. So I think it's a great question for somebody like me uh, because I don't, I do basic implants, nothing, nothing dramatic, but mm -hmm. um, for us or anybody to achieve your level of experience. Uh, what should their journey be? Like, where can they start or where can they start again? Let's put it that way. To be Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. And I get this question often because people say, what type of course should I do? Should right. I do, should I go directly to a clinical course where, mm -hmm. you know, you place as many implants as you can? Should I do a theoretical course? Should, should I do a mentorship? I think the, the best way to do it is start with a theoretical course. Okay. Because oftentimes I get people that come to me after going to one of these courses, let's say, you know, out of the country where you place a lot of implants. And they said, you know, I, I placed 30 implants, but I have no idea why I place them in a certain position, where I place them, how they will evolve. So I think the best way to do is start with a theoretical course. Okay. A theoretical course that gives you the every step that you need to know how to avoid the problems because mm. I learned a lot of my mistakes 
from my own my own patients. Right. And it's it's better if you can learn from other people's mistakes. Hmm. Now, of course, I I did avoid mistakes by learning things from Sasha and learning things from my residency. Sure. But if you can go to a course where the speaker talks about their own mistakes, I think that's a very good way to learn. Hmm. So getting that theoretical basis first, the science basis, mm-hmm. once you do that, then going on to more of a hands-on course, I think is the way to go. And I'm going to I'm gonna plug one of my courses sure. uh, that, that we have this year. So we have a course in Dallas, in Beverly Hills, and in Palm Beach, Florida with my good friend Thomas Linkovicious, who came up with this idea of zero bone loss concepts. Hmm. And, you know, don't come to see me, come to see him, because (laughs) he is just one of the leaders in implant dentistry in the world that is very, very science-based. Every concept that he discusses and that we discuss together now is based on clinical research, Hmm. not you know, not done on, on pigs and not done on, on uh, mice, but on, on humans. He has the clinical research department and very, very sound research, very respected research. So great. I think a, a course like that is a, is a way to start mm-hmm. to where you learn the concepts, you learn how to avoid problems. Then you go to more of a hands-on course, let's okay. say, like mm-hmm. a, on patients. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, the best way to do it is continuing with a mentorship, finding someone that you can trust, that you can call and say, hey, I'm having this problem or what should I do? And I think that's the continued long-term goal Makes sense. Of, uh, of education. Right. Um, not everybody can go to Brazil um, you know, and spend yes. a year learning <laughs> what you learn. And I think um, uh, it, it's, it's really hard to, to take time away from your practice when everything is dependent on your practice. Uh, and now... Oh, do I want to take a, a year's break just to learn implants and lose all the money right. for the one? No, it doesn't work for many, many, many dentists, uh, especially yeah. if they don't really have a partner or a established offices, somebody right. else to You're take exactly care right. of it. So mm-hmm. uh, thank you. And so that would be the theoretical part. Now, where could they know about that particular course? Is there a website that you can talk about? Yeah, so just my website is the easiest place, drkylestanley.com, drkylestanley.com, and everything's on there. They can message me on Instagram, same thing, drkylestanley, drkylestanley, and I'd be happy to happy to send them a link. And did you have a, a, a follow-up course where you could do actual implants? Yeah. Yeah, so with... After the theory? With with us, we don't. Together with me and with me and uh, Thomas, there's some good courses that are happening with some of my friends, the Digital Dentistry Institute. Okay. They do some good hands-on courses. I also do remote mentoring. Okay. So basically, you know, you kind of have me on speed dial, mm-hmm. and if you need help with a case, and I look at your cases. So I think that's a, a continued way of having access to to someone that. I would say knows what they're doing. So at Digital Smile Dentistry, are uh, are the people uh, are students placing implants on patients? Digital Dentistry Institute, yes, um, yeah, they have a few courses. I think they have one in Canada and one in Mexico where they're actually placing on patients. What about um, yeah. what about in the U.S.? Do they have nothing in the U.S.? I think there's a course in Arizona. Okay. Um, I forget what it's called, but I haven't I haven't been to it, so okay. I can't give. Um, 
uh, any feedback, but I know yeah. that there is access. There's only a few states in the U.S. that allow, allow temporary you. licenses. Right. Uh, Arizona so, is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Arizona is one. I think Ohio may be one, but there's no courses there mm. that I know of. Okay. So I think Colorado may do it as well. Got it. Yeah. Got it. All right. So do that theory part, then do the uh, the practical aspect, maybe at yeah. Digital Dentistry Institute. Uh, or yes. wherever, wherever. Oh, yeah, wherever, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know uh, Dr. Um, Justin Moody has also has uh, the one in uh, in Arizona. I've interviewed oh, him good. too. Uh, and uh, my friends have gone to that uh, that course and it's pretty, pretty good. Uh, many people oh, like good. it. Yeah, so maybe for the second stage, stage they could go there. Yeah. Now, all right, uh, so, so starting on your journey, you were still at the school, went to Brazil, learned implants, and then... Uh, met Dr. Sasha, learning plans and regeneration more. And then how yes. did you get involved with the uh, uh, Digital Dentistry Institute? How did you get involved with them? Digital Dentistry Institute? Yeah. Digital Smile Institute? Well, both, actually. I'm, I'm going to ask yeah. both. Whatever. Yeah, so Digital Dentistry Institute just came about a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It is with some of my friends, um, Saj Jivaraj and Sandeep Raul and Bobby Birdie. So really top prosthodontist and perioprost, actually dual trained like Bobby Birdie. Mm -hmm. And they had invited me to start speaking for them. And these were guys that I had spoken with and looked up to for a long time. Okay. We've, you know, we're all on the, the, the lecture circuit. We've done <laughs> a lot of global symposiums together. And, and um, so when I knew that they were doing an institute and they had invited me to speak that, that it was a good opportunity because because they're all very science-based. They all do a lot of treatment. They, they've all made mistakes. They've all learned from their mistakes. They right. publish. So I like to work with people that are respected in the industry, that are really science-based, you know, research-based kind of clinicians. Mm -hmm. And so that was how I got involved with them. Got it. And uh, now, it uh, seems like you're a speaker at multiple places, and you were... Uh, called as one of the youngest speakers by Seattle Study Club. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Man, I, listen, I'm getting jealous of you right now uh, <laughs> <laughs> with what you've achieved. Now, uh, how did you get involved with the uh, Seattle Study Club? Because they are tough. I mean, yeah. I know someone, I'm not going to name, uh, but uh, they were not accepted by Seattle Study Club to be a speaker. Yeah. You know, uh, so how, how did that happen? Yeah, I got I got lucky on that. That came through, I think it came through Noble BioCare. Hmm. They had recommended me to go to their speaker. I forget what they call it, New Speakers Bureau or something like this. Okay. So they basically, I think they only do it every three years or every five years, where they bring in new speakers, hmm. and you kind of have to audition, uh -huh. right? So so you give a little talk. Yeah. And all of the all of the dental directors are there of each club hmm. and they decide if you are allowed to be in the circuit in their in their club so i was lucky that i got in and i have to tell you seattle study club is some of the best clinicians that i speak to right you know because i speak all over the world and in i speak in big cities and small cities and other countries and developing countries and when i go to seattle study club clubs it's very high level hmm. everybody knows what they're doing people again are research-based they're 
normal people that have practices. And I just really enjoy it because it's a high level, which is great. And yeah. it's because they have all these, you know, not me, but they have all these other amazing speakers that come in and, and talk to them. You know, right. you know on, the, on the Seattle Study Club circuit, you have really, really high level clinicians. Great. Now, um, now, if you don't mind sharing, uh, share your day of your audition at Seattle Study Club. I, I'm sure people would be interested to know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that'd be a yeah, fun. Yeah, so my day there. So it was in Hawaii, okay. which was kind of nice. Um, I, <laughs> I got up and I went snorkeling in the morning oh. because it was a beautiful day in Hawaii with my wife. Mm-hmm. You know, got ready and went and kind of met some people. I was very new. I didn't know very many people there, so mm-hmm. met some people. Luckily, I did get to meet um, my friends Rob Ritter and Chris Ramsey, who are who are in South Florida, okay. and they really welcomed me. Okay, they were already speaking in there, and they said, "Hey, we saw you at American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, and you know we really like what you're doing. Let me kind of show you the ropes." So they were super, super cool at the beginning to to show me the ropes, and then so you're sitting there and you're watching all of these speakers speak. Yeah. And each person only had 15, 20 minutes. Right. And some really high-level speakers speaking. So, you know, I was a little nervous. Sure. But I wanted to do something different. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they introduced each speaker, you know, where they sit and read their bio. Right. You know, Dr. Smith is, went to school here, and then she went to school here, and she has private practice here, so on and so on. So what I did differently is I came up and I introduced myself. And on my slides, I showed my mentors, where I went, kind of stuff we're talking about now. Right. Time in Brazil, and my family, so-and-so. And I think that set me apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it worked. So now I'm, I'm pretty lucky to be speaking with Seattle Study Club. I spoke at their, their yearly symposium two years ago, I guess. And I'll be there in a few weeks giving some expert tips. Great. Now, uh, did they actually grill you? Did they start asking some uh, great? They didn't. No, it was more kind of performance based. You know, okay. they they let they give you your fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah, and then afterwards they decide if if you've done it or not. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I was like, yeah. I mean, if I were you, if I were sitting interviewing you, I would like, hey, Carl, why did you do that? By right. The way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just yeah, to have like a little a- fun. Like a board, right? Like a board. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, everybody there, you know, we say that it's tough to get into there, but everybody there is so nice. I mean, everybody mm. gives you a hug and is welcoming and thanks for coming. And it's really like a family okay. at, at Seattle Study Club. So, yeah. Nice. Don't get the wrong idea that it's like this, this these hard-pressed people. <laughs> no, there no, well, that was my nice people in dentistry. Yeah, thank you for changing that. But I actually thought that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, great. That's interesting. <laughs> so, so you've been the youngest speaker, got great mentors, and probably that's the reason you are where you are. Um, For sure. Now, now let's. So that gives a little bit about you, about you know being in dentistry and being in clinical aspect of it. Uh, oh yeah, I think we forgot. Uh, so how did you meet Christian Koshman? Everybody, yes. that would be yes, a great story so too. Christian. I like to say Christian was my mentor before he knew he was my mentor <laughs> because he was mentoring me from from afar just okay. by me reading his his articles, by hmm. me watching his videos, seeing him speak. But I didn't meet him until 
I don't know, four or five years ago okay. in, when we were actually in Indonesia. Oh. So we were speaking together in Indonesia. I was kind of the opening act and he was the headliner. Wow. And he came and watched, I would say, the last five or ten minutes of my lecture. Okay. And I knew he was coming for the last few minutes, so I made sure to show something very interesting at the end. I wanted to impress him. Okay. And I showed something called that we, we came to call the lip factor, which is using plastic surgery involved with cosmetic dentistry. And he loved it. So afterwards, he came up to me and said, hey, what was that thing you did with the lip? And we started talking. And, you know, I speak uh, some Portuguese. And he was like, well, why the hell do you speak Portuguese? So <laughs> we really just became quick friends, very quick friends. And and then he really helped me a lot. He promoted what I was doing. He invited me to speak for, for Digital Smile Design at their symposiums and their courses. And now we write articles together and we talk about business. And, you know, again, he's just become um, one of my closest mentors. And I'm just lucky to have him. Great. Uh, now, do you want to elaborate a little bit about the lip thing? Lip. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so the, the lip factor mm -hmm. came from me really being obsessed with studying beauty and studying faces. I remember in dental school, I was supposed to be studying teeth and, you know, teeth in the mouth, but I was so interested in research on why we find things beautiful. Okay. So not just humans, but why we find architecture beautiful, why we find um, certain animals more beautiful than the other. But then again, why we find certain humans more beautiful than the other. Okay. And I wanted to look at peer-reviewed research on why certain people are perceived as being more attractive than the other. Hmm. So I started studying plastic surgery research. I started studying uh, psychology, sociology, anthropology, all hmm. of these researches. And I started realizing that there's a disconnect between dentistry and these other specialties. Okay. And I wanted to find where we could bring the connection together. And I found that that really was the lip. The lip was something that dentists never really talked about. We never knew we could adjust it, mm -hmm. bring it up, bring it down, bring it forward, bring it back. And so I found this procedure called the lip lift, which was a procedure that was used in plastic surgery for decades. But not a lot of plastic surgeons were doing it at the time. This was about you know, 12 years ago. And no dentist knew what it was. Sure. So I started writing an article, actually, in, dentist, in dental school. I started writing an article. Oh. I didn't end up publishing it until, I think, 2017. It took a while to publish. So it took, you know, 10, 9 or 10 years to publish. Hmm. But once I published that then I kind of became known for being this lip guy, for being the dentist that knows about the lip and knows about smile and beauty. So then I found other like-minded dentists around the world through Christian. Mm -hmm. we, we have now written a lot of other research about facial flow and incisal edge position and things like that. But my goal was to bring together plastic surgery, dermatology, and dentistry so that we could have these full oral facial teams Mm -hmm. Instead of working in silos, you know, you do this, you do this, you do this, but we don't know what each other does and we don't know how we can help each other. I want to be like, we're a facial team, whether it's the eyes or the nose or the cheeks or the chin or the teeth or the tongue or the ears, whatever, mm -hmm. we should work as a team. Okay. So that was my goal with that. Hmm. Interesting. Is that what it is, uh, what you 
have written on your website too orofacial treatment for dentofacial harmony is that yes congruent yeah, exactly. with that yeah that's the topic and that's actually a topic that i talk about a lot in a lot of Seattle study clubs because they're pretty open minded about this and i bring in a lot of research that we have done research from the plastic surgery journals and discuss how we can analyze faces mm-hmm. and get better smiles out of that now somebody who's not a part of Seattle study club or it's too far uh where could they learn something like that um is it uh, with digital smile design with dr christian koshman and you yeah yeah you know we have a team called the oral facial club that is comprised of some experts from around the world that discuss this and every year we do a symposium this year i think it's in brazil mm-hmm. but also you know i come around and and speak all over the place not necessarily only in seattle study club so okay you may catch me speaking about it in Got your it. city sometime yeah so uh what is the so research is one thing you're right i mean um research has been going on in implantology for last 30 40 50 years i don't know and uh, but only in the last 15 years that implants have or at least dental implants have become uh, important and very common i should say relatively um, yeah now research is one thing but practical uh, you know applications are two different aspect and you being a entrepreneur you would understand that more than anybody else how could they implement the lip factor in their office like me if i want to do something like that uh, yeah. is, has it reached to that level yet or is still in the research phase yet no so it has reached that level the thing is it it depends on how surgically inclined you are because we do have dentists that are doing this we have oral surgeons periodontists that are doing the actual lip surgery mm-hmm. but it depends on the legality and your training so like mm-hmm. in california i would love to be able to do it but mm-hmm. i legally can't do it right but I, i'm lucky that i have dr bentale who's like the world leader in lip lifts you know down the street and okay. on speed dial so i think the easiest way to incorporate this type of oral facial treatment into your practice is to get close with an oral surgeon or a plastic surgeon mm. that can do this type of treatment and treatment plan and together teeth lips jaws joints everything together as one team okay so that's the easiest way is kind of refer that area out but understand how it's going to happen okay i understand so basically because of the legalities and the licensing issues you cannot implement it but that at least gives you the right direction uh, oh by the way you know uh, mr smith mr smith we can prob- probably do this with my plastic surgeon or surgeon exactly and then yep. we can make you prettier beautiful whatever okay yeah 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 and something has to do with aging you know people don't want to look don't want to look old mm-hmm. and oftentimes we've seen these cases where you know you do a full mouth rehab or you do all on four or something like this and we give these people very young teeth right right they have mammalons and there's no stains <laughs> they're bright they're very aligned but then they still have a old face right or old lip uh-huh so what i wanted to do with that was reverse the aging of the perioral region right so that the patient in generally in general looks younger not just their teeth look younger ah uh, okay right what if um uh one of uh, the dentists actually reached out to me when he came to know that i'm interviewing you today and he asked me yeah. if, you know and i said could you ask me uh, him uh, a question so it's related to uh, digital smile design um sure. uh, and to give a shout out this is dr daniel or rurk um and he was like 
uh, I would like to, he he asked me I would like to know the protocol in designing a smile. Uh, I think he was okay. referring to a digital smile design. And if the patient's complete dental system has to be brought in harmony prior to the digital phase, I mean design phase. Uh, so I asked, just try to elaborate on it. And he, I, I asked him again and he says, I asked him, so you want me to use DST, but do we need to stabilize the patient before getting into the digital smile design? Is that true? No. No, I don't think so. Um, okay. You know, every, every, it depends on the case, but I can't think of a case where you have to necessarily stabilize the patient. Now, of course, if there is phase one treatment in the sense that you know there's a huge infection or the patient is in crazy pain, right. mm-hmm. we're not going to say you know, oh, let's design your smile. Okay, <laughs> we need to get the patient yeah. out of pain, controlled infection at least, and then we can start designing the smile. So maybe that's what he means. But yes, yes, certainly. You no, know, we have many cases where the teeth are in the wrong position, the bite is off, you know, everything is a mess. Hmm. And we can design this smile digitally remotely so that when we go in, we're starting with the end in mind and we can do the most minimally invasive treatment. I Great. just did a case on on Monday, an all on four case, where mm-hmm. the only thing we did before the treatment was records. We did hmm. intraoral scan, facial photos, and CT scan. That was all we did. And we then on the day of treatment on Monday, we extracted the teeth, placed implants, a- attached the pre-designed, digitally designed, and milled restoration. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, the, the result was amazing. The Incisal edge was in the perfect position. Hmm. The incisal edges matched the lower lip. lip. Yeah. The patient's bite was good. She showed the right amount of tooth. She could speak. And everything was planned remotely. And we did that with the DSD planning center. Great. Uh, so did you, did you make guides for that uh, to do such a precision-oriented? Uh, yeah, uh, we did. You, yeah, you yes. just got uh, is, well. is there a... Uh, Guiding it, guided implant surgery system that you use, or what do you specifically? Yeah, so so I use two systems. Mm-hmm. I use Noble Biocare, sure, and I also use MIS. Those okay. are the the two implant systems that I use. Both have their, I would say, advantages and disadvantages, and they they both work. Okay. But for me, for a guided surgery system, what's important to me is drill stops. Right. Drill stops are very important for me. Sure. Um, I think that having drill stops brings down my anxiety and makes me know that I'm not going to drill too deep. Yeah. I'm not going to drill shallow. I know exactly where I'm going to drill to. Right. So having good, good visualization and drill stops is very important to me in a guided surgery system. Got it. So, uh, do you use a, a software system like a blue sky bio or something similar? Yeah. So when I'm working with Nobel, they have their DTX studio. Mm-hmm. Which is a very robust okay. uh, software system. Mm-hmm. It allows you to do a lot very, very nice and clean. Okay. And then with MIS, it is uh, called the M-Guide system. Their own? So that is, that's their own system? That, I think it's through, um, there's a Swiss company, I think, that they they license it through. I can't remember what their name is. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, so... Yeah. Um, now, I think I want to move towards a little bit about your entrepreneur journey with Pearl. Okay. Um, and um, because 
very interesting to me. You know, uh, somebody who is a dentist and who is involved with uh, uh, an entrepreneurship is it's different. Um, yes, that's true. <laughs> um, so not many people can afford to do that, but because dentistry is stressful enough, now you add a business component to it. Uh, <laughs> that's it. You know, you you are done. Basically, you're done. So, um, for people who don't know about Pearl, Pearl is uh, an AI-powered uh, digital file. No, AI-powered. You? Why don't you tell me? Uh, okay, sure. Uh, you know, it'll be easy for them too. Yeah. So Pearl and our website is hellopearl.com. Mm-hmm. We are a company that focuses on computer vision. So computer vision is a subset of artificial intelligence. And we do a multitude, we, we handle a multitude of tasks for the dental community based on computer vision. So we look at radiographs and analyze radiographs with the eyes of an expert, so just like humans. We can analyze these radiographs to give you business intelligence tools. We can analyze radiographs for dental insurance to help make that process a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And then we also analyze intraoral scans, so you know STL files from Three Shape Itero, etc., to analyze what's happening in the scan, give it a score, and also automatically mark the margins. Right. And those are some of the different aspects that we do. But ultimately, we are a, a dental company that focuses on computer vision. Yeah. So uh, I think um, I, I I I heard your story with Dr. Uh, Howard Farhan. Um, yes. Uh, you know, getting into getting into Hello Pearl. But I think I'm most interested in um, I'm most interested in your entrepreneurial journey to get the funding. Okay. What, what was that like? How did you get involved with that? Um, I can't I can't take a lot of credit for that. <laughs> All right. Our CEO did our CEO Ophir did most of that. Okay. Because but, I was very new to this tech world. Right. But our CEO Ophir who uh, was my patient at my practice. Uh-huh. He has owned tech companies for you know, 15 years. Uh-huh. And so for him, he had raised tens of millions of dollars before from, from um, venture capitalists. Right. So he had all the connections and the ways of doing it. So I really can't take much credit for that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Do you, know, uh, you know what all... Uh, he has he had to go through to get. Did you say eleven million dollar funding? Yeah, we raised eleven million. Did you know the process? Uh, just basic processes or steps. Well, involved? you know, I was there when we were meeting with Craft Ventures, who led our our funding round. Okay. And it's interesting because it is it's led by a guy named David Sachs, who is actually one of the founders of PayPal. Huh. So so super cool for me to even you know meet David right and now you know to call him a colleague, but you know it's it's like it's like any other type of you know let's say Shark Tank or something like that where you are pitching someone your idea mm-hmm. and you know there's a negotiate negotiation that happens the the good thing was that with Ophir him and David had a relationship. Before, so they have, you know, been colleagues and friends for for a long time. And David really understands that Ophir is a high level, top tier entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of trust that comes with that. 
sure. you know, if you're if you're my really good friend and you come to me and say, hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? I'll probably say, yeah, sure. Yeah. But if you're a random person on the street and you come to me and say, hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm going to get my money back. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of that had to do with trust and experience. So I was lucky that mm. Pearl has Ophir as our CEO, who's really, you know, he, he brought a company from nothing to doing hundreds of millions of dollars a year in his previous company. So mm. he's a proven serial entrepreneur. And I've learned a lot from him. I'm sure. I'm sure. So what is one thing that you loved uh, or learned the most from uh, Mr. Ophir? From Ophir, let me let me see. Yeah. You know, I would say I would say his calmness in meetings, hmm. his his honesty and transparency in meetings and I think his his lack of ego as well. Wow. He's very honest when we're talking with people. You know, his ego is down. He and I think that comes through, you know, people, people hear that on the other side and it builds trust. So that's, that's what I would probably say. Great. So, um, you know, uh, so AI has been involved, so you've been involved with AI and how far AI has been successful in diagnosing, treatment planning and actually doing the clinical dentistry. Has it yeah, gone so that far? I don't think we've gone as far as doing the clinical treatment. I think that's what a lot of dentists are worried about. You know, are you going to put me out of a, out of a job? Oh yeah, that and, is one of my questions, by the way. Yes, and <laughs> no, I would say we're very good at diagnosing, mm -hmm. aligned with humans or better than humans. So this like superhuman performance, treatment planning as well, aligned with humans or better than humans. We're definitely there analyzing intraoral scans aligned with humans are better than humans going to the clinical aspect you know that's getting involved with ai and robotics right. which i think is coming mm -hmm. you know we do have companies like yomi that are placing implants with robots right and i think that's definitely the future of implant dentistry mm -hmm. but we're not there yet with with the clinical aspect when right now it's more the diagnostic aspect business intelligence mm. and you know insurance products lab products but not not bring it to actually doing it I, I don't think dentists are going to be out of a job probably ever <laughs> ever well yeah. i i think um uh, i was listening to uh, elon musk's interview with joe yeah. rogan and uh, you know he says uh, something similar it's going to take a while uh, but they are coming you know they are coming <laughs> uh, for sure i mean there's people that are working on small little robotics that will go around and clean your teeth. Right, right. So um, I think that, let's say long-term future, I don't know, 50, 100 okay. years from now, mm -hmm. I think there will still be dentists, uh -huh. but we may not be doing the clinical aspects that we're doing now. We may be guiding the robots mm. or there because, you know, what are humans good at? We're good at empathy, critical thinking, um relationships yeah relationships yeah so these are really important and when you're dealing with humans you're going to want to have a human involved in that at some point so in 100 years do i think we'll be placing implants no robots will be doing that do i mm -hmm. think we'll be prepping crowns and doing fillings i would probably say no but mm -hmm. we will be overseeing the robots hmm now 
let's not go 100 years from now. Let's go okay. next decade. Yeah. What do you think in next 10 next 10 years, you know, with your experience in AI and what not, um how much of clinical dentistry, you know, would be impacted by AI? And what part? I would say that all of the diagnosis will be done by AI. Mhm. All of the treatment plan will be done by AI. All of the restoration process, so I'd say the lab portion, okay, will be done by AI with milling and robots. Mhm. But I don't think any of the in the mouth dentistry will be done by AI in the next 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But we will have made it so that things are more consistent. things are reproducible they are have long term research behind them and i think that will help i think we will level the playing field a little bit to where you know right now if you go to 10 different dentists i always say this you go to 10 different dentists you get 11 different opinions perfect yep you yep. know yep yeah i want to make it so that you go to 10 different dentists you get one opinion hmm. i want to make it so that you know some of my professors at school said there's only one diagnosis Mm. but there can be many different treatments. Mm-hmm. And I would love to make that the same. You go to you go to me, you go to you, you go to Dr. Najad, Dr. Helm, you go to Christian, you go to Pascal, Sasha, you know, there's one diagnosis. Mm. Now the treatment may change based on the dentist's experience, the dentist's um philosophies, the patient's philosophies, the patient how much they want to pay or don't want to pay or how fast they want it to do. but i think the diagnosis will be consistent which will help build trust in our in our profession so so once we have a level playing field let's say let's you know flash forward 10 years right now and we have all that diagnosis and treatment planning how would uh dr kyle be different than uh panks you know i'm nobody right now but i'm just saying yeah no years, it, it, It's a good question, you know, will we have the let's say celebrity dentists right. in in the future? Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. I mean, you know, as long as we are a capitalistic society, there will always be people that will find a way to be better at business, better at marketing, better at relationship building. So, I think we'll still have outliers. But what I would like to do is bring the average up. You know, you still may have very high performers, you still may have very low performers, but right now I think the average in dentistry could be raised and I think that's what the technology is going to do. I was thinking about uh, Naval Ravikant, I don't know if you know him. He's no. really uh one of those entrepreneurs and uh based in Silicon Valley and uh he has a really great podcast an old called Naval N A V A L. I'll mm-hmm. put the link to it. Uh but he's he also talks about the jobs go away uh but there are new jobs new kinds of jobs are created even though it's ai powered or yeah. you know so essentially that's exactly right so people th- don't go ahead sorry i i think that that's a big concern with ai is that we're going to be putting people out of jobs and i think it's a very valid concern because mm-hmm. i think it can happen mm-hmm. however you know there are other jobs that are created just like like that that person is saying that there's you know more more developers that are needed and people are going to need to market the new uh ai technology so you have new marketing scan so yeah i do agree that in general i think there will be less jobs 
So I think that that is a concern. But I don't think it's going to be as massive as many people are making it. Got it. Sound. Yeah. Um, now, what else do you think uh, are the practical uh, applications which are coming in the next five years? Not, I'm not talking 10 years now. Let's talking about five years where Perl is going to be implementing uh, in, in the dental industry. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. Most of the, I would say, mundane tasks in the dental industry will be automated through AI. Hmm. So let's say, and there's some companies that are already doing this. Um, I don't think we will have a front office staff okay. anymore. Hmm. I think that will be all AI driven. Okay. I think that people, you know, so answering the phones will all be AI driven. People, I don't know if they'll even use phones anymore. Mm-hmm. But with na- with natural language processing, which is a type of AI, right. that mm-hmm. is is very, you know, it, if you remember Siri five years ago or yeah. eight years ago, she yeah. was terrible. She was. And Siri now, she's not great, but she's gotten a lot better. Okay. And Alexa is really good. And so... That has really improved. Anything that is using natural language processing, that will be automated. Mm-hmm. I think we will be talking to our computers to write our notes, talking to our computers to perio chart. Mm-hmm. I also think some of the planning will be automated through AI. So let's say, like I was talking about with that case on Monday, mm-hmm. take photos, intraoral scans, face scans, CT, It'll automatically be brought together with AI and automatically give you a preview of what they th- what the AI thinks is best right, based right. on millions of patients just like them. The same thing with implant dentistry, and you know this is an, an area that that we have on our roadmap, which is bringing together implants, CT scans, intraoral scans, face scans. Again, bringing it all together, finding where there are missing teeth, right. placing implants at the correct depth, the correct implant size, the correct distance from the sinus of the nerve, the correct emergence profile, planning everything, automatically generating an STL file and having the STL file printed at that time. I think in five years, we will be there. Hmm. Whether it's us or another company, I mean, someone will be there. Yeah, right. Um, are you um, are you attached with any other AI companies um, or implant placement system just like XNAV or anything um, like that? We are not. I think XNAV is really cool. Mm-hmm. But I also think XNAV is for the expert, not the beginner. Okay. Because for me, I like to do fully guided surgeries mm-hmm. because it guides my hand. Mm-hmm. I think that with XNAV, it guides your brain. Okay. Yeah. But you could still make a mistake. Now, I've heard that the new XNAV actually stops your drill if you go off, off path. Oh, really? So that's so that's actually a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will stop people from from making mistakes. Because before with XNAV, my my argument was, you can place the implant in the wrong position. You'll just know it's in the wrong position. Okay. So with guided surgery, it you physically can't place the implant in the wrong, in the wrong position unless you use the wrong drill. Or the, the guide isn't seated. Right, right, so right. So I like the fact that it guided my hand because I already guided my brain when I did the planning. 
Mm. That was me guiding my brain. When I get into surgery, then I'm just executing what I planned before. Hmm. Interesting. But I think that robotics is the future. I think that the Yomi, and you know, I don't get paid anything for this. Yeah, um, sure. The, the Yomi robotic kind of companies will be the future. Where are they based out of? Yomi. I don't know where they're based out of. I have a feeling there's some. I don't know. Maybe it's in Florida. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's Y O M I. Y O M I. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll look into it. Uh, I haven't heard about anything about Yomi yet. Um, yeah, they're doing the first robotic-based implant placement. To where it actually locks, locks the position, and so you can only go up and down, and you can only go up and down. It won't let you drill too deep. It won't let you drill too shallow. One of those things. Right, just like drill stops. Exactly. Hmm. Okay. Um, interesting. So now, I want to kind of humanize you here. Okay. okay. I'm scared of you. You know, you've done <laughs> so much. You're one of the youngest speakers involved with guide, involved with. Uh, you know, lecturing circuits, uh, speaker, youngest speaker, and so on. Pearl, digital smile design, and whatnot. Uh, so, what is your typical week like? Yeah, so my typical week has changed dramatically in the last year. Mm-hmm. My typical week used to be working at my office three to four days a week, you know, I was doing a little bit with Gum Gum at the time, which was the company before Pearl. Right. And then I was lecturing about 40 times a year. Huh. And now that has changed to where I'm in my practice one to two days a week. Okay. I'm with Pearl usually about th- three to four days a week. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm still lecturing, but I'm doing it not 40 times a year, maybe 30 times a year. Okay. So I have done, I, I've reduced my clinical days. And that's mainly due to stress because I, I was getting a lot of stress from clinical dentistry. Hmm. And now that I've reduced my clinical days to one to two days a week, I get to do the cases I want to do. I don't do the cases I don't want to do. And I can manage my stress better. Great. So, <clears throat> so one to two days with... And what about the weekends? So that's where that's when you use your weekends for your speaking engagements? Yeah, you know, weekends are sometimes speaking, but I try to keep them sacred as much as I can for family. Yeah. Because, you know, family is my number one priority. When I wake up in the morning, I try to spend two hours with my son if I can, and I try to spend two hours with him in the evening before he goes to bed. So if I can get four hours with my son every day, then I'm, I'm happy. Great. Yeah, because I was... Just list, uh, watching your video with, uh, you know, with your son on Facebook. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, playing with the ball and everything. Right. That, was, that was pretty uh, cool. Interesting. People don't have time to spend time with their children. I mean, uh, they don't yeah. understand. That's so important. Yeah. Well, I think I went. I went the wrong way for a while. I was so focused on my career that I'm lucky that I have my wife who can kind of bring me back to earth. <laughs> you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I got invited to speak in Brazil and Malaysia and London. And then she's like, yeah, but like, we want you here. Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> we don't, we don't care how much money we have. Yeah. We don't care how famous you want to be. You know, we just want our daddy here. And, you know, I want my husband here. And Valco wants his daddy here. So it really brought me back to earth and realized like, 
you know, this is the time. Nobody looks back and says like, gosh, I really wish I worked more when my right. son, you know, when my son was little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked to so many dads and they all say, cherish this time when your kids are young. You know, work as little as you can, hmm. which is hard because usually you have kids when you're younger and that's when you're trying to build your career and that's when you're trying to establish yourself. So I had to have a little bit of an intervention. Hmm. And thank God my wife is is honest with me and tells me this stuff. Hmm. And so I tried to decrease my traveling. Hmm. If I do travel, I try to not be gone more than one day. So this doesn't make it easy, of course. Sometimes I do double red eyes. You know, I'll red eye to New York, mm. not even stay in a hotel and red eye back the same day. Wow. But to me, it's important to be back for my family. And that's become my number one priority. So, you know, if I'm making less money, but I'm happier, then that's great. So, <clears throat> uh, so how do you say no to something, some great oh, speaking man. engagement? That was... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that was a that was a big problem for me. I was definitely a yes man, especially <laughs> with lecturing. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, lecturing is it's kind of easy money. There is no risk. Sure. You know, there's no staff. There's no overhead. Right. You always feel good about yourself when you're done. Everyone says, "Wow, those cases are amazing. You're so good." You know, I I I left feeling so great <laughs> all the time. Yeah. So that was hard because especially when I'm trying to build my career, if someone's going to invite me and they're going to pay me, I'm going to say, yeah, let's do it. Right. But it started to cause problems with, you know, my partners and they would say, hey, Kyle, you're gone all the time. Or my wife would say, hey, you're gone all the time. And mm. So I think it was 2017 mm -hmm. or 2018 was my year of saying no. Mm. And it was very freeing, actually. It was very hard. Right. You know, it's hard to say no to money. Uh -huh. But it was very freeing. And I, that year, I made much less money. Okay. And I was actually much happier. Wow. Thank you. Because what I didn't realize was that when I was away from my family, although I enjoyed it while I was there... When I came back, I felt like I had missed out on something. Hmm. You know, my wife would show me pictures of, hey, this is, look, at we went to the park today or we went to his dance class today or we did this or this. And I wanted to be there so much. And was it worth making the money? No, it wasn't. Because I'll never get that time back. Now, <clears throat> I think uh, uh, in general, dentists are very ambitious people. Everybody. You're right. Dentists usually are more ambitious than, I don't know, a, a hygienist or an assistant or whatever. Um, mm. now how did you, so money is one part and family is one part, but how did you talk yourself out of that ambition? You see? Um, yeah. Well, I think for me, I had these hard times where I was really stressed out with treating patients and I realized that clinical dentistry was causing me anxiety mm. many times. And so I had to have this realization that my, um, what's the word, my identity mm -hmm. wasn't being a dentist. Oh, really? My identity is being a father. My identity is being a husband, being mm. a son, being a brother. My relationships are my identity. But my profession is dentistry. Got it. And that was what 
my realization was. Because what I realized was that when you meet somebody in a plane or at a party, huh. you know, they're kind of like, so tell me about yourself. And yeah. we always start with our profession. profession. Or they say, what do you do, right? You say, right. I'm a dentist. And yeah. this is my identity. And I think so many of us, even outside of dentistry, we mix up our profession as our purpose. Mm. And so you know, my purpose is to be a dad. That's my number one purpose in life. Mm. But I didn't realize that at first. Wow. I thought my purpose was to be a dentist. Because in dentistry, we all fail, right? Yeah. We have cases that break. We have cases that fail. We have cases that are even a big success in our eyes, but our patients don't think they're a big success. True. So at some point, you're going to fail. And for those young dentists out there, if you haven't failed yet, you will. <laughs> and this is hard for dentists because we are overachievers. We have to do well in high school to get into college. We have to do well in college to get into dental school. We have to do well in dental school to get into residency or to pass dental school. So in general, we don't fail much. Mm. And then if you get out of school and you have a case that doesn't go well, we say, you know, I spent the last 10, 20 years of my life doing this. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought, or maybe this isn't what I'm made to do. Wow. So for me, separating my identity and my purpose in life really made everything very clear. Interesting. Very interesting. That's hard. That's really hard. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, I got a little, um, I have a baby girl, so I know, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, it's, it gets it's emotional. emotional. It's emotional. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, great. Um, great. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Um, not many people would share that, and um, uh, it's hard. It's hard to say no to uh, a speaking gig, um, recognition, big case, big case no. recognition. Yeah, um, you know, uh, happiness. So, uh, how? What is your definition of happiness here? What made yeah. you choose, or what? What is your definition? What What do you think would make you really happy? You know, if you. <clears throat> You know, I always, I always said that my goal in life now, as far as professional goal, let's say, would be to be able to do dentistry for free. Hmm. So if I had, you know, all the money in the world, let's say, I would love to treat people for free. Hmm. I would love to show people a new, uh, what's the word here? A new representative of dentistry, because so many people are scared of the dentist, mm -hmm. but I would love to make it achievable for them. I would love to, you know, use sedation techniques, mm. and which I which I do now. But doing it for free, I think, would be a professional goal of mine. So happiness, I mean, happiness for me is is being with my family for sure. I mean, number mm -hmm. one would be being being with my family, but also I think being with my family and not having to worry about my profession. Right. Because, you know, there's sometimes we're with our family, but we're like, gosh, we got to pay the bills. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It is true. You know, money doesn't buy happiness for sure. And I've definitely realized that. Hmm. But we need money to live. So hmm. there's that fine balance there. Got it. Well, so now... You've been pretty successful in this whole journey until right now, uh, and you, you, you're obviously going to 
go deeper. Who do you think is successful in your eyes? In my eyes, I would have to say my father. Oh, really? And, and when you when you look at my father, you know, he's not rich. Okay. <laughs> he's not poor. Yeah. He, I would say he's rich in very many, in things that are not material. Mm. He's rich in family. You know, he's been married to my mom for almost 50 years. Mm. Again, he's not rich, he's not poor. He, he's known as a good person. Okay. You know, when people talk about my dad, like, oh, I love your dad. He's so cool. He's so easygoing, you know. They know that they can trust him. They know that they can call on him for something. So, you know, for him to be, and again, I'm getting emotional too talking about this, but um, sure. yeah, he would be, you know, successful for me. If I could do what he has done, Sure. you know, raise kids, um, given my, my mother a great life. Yeah. Um, and you know had a successful marriage sure that's one of the difficult things to do. <laughs> it may be easier to have a successful business than it is to have a successful marriage so True. you know i gotta i gotta give credit to my parents for that so um i still want to dig in there because um uh, i was talking to my mom uh today in the morning and uh, we were talking about my dad too uh he passed away um two years I'm ago that. um so um anyways so i and I was thinking about what my dad used to say, you know, all that. But I think since we're already touching that point here with your dad, why don't you tell me what, uh, what is one thing that you've learned from your father and which he says over and over, you know? Uh, mm. Oh, good question. Well, Gosh, I don't know if he says anything over and over. That's, they're usually jokes that he says over and over. Very bad <laughs> dad jokes over and over again. Yeah, I would say the thing that I've learned uh, more through observation sure. is just his, his, his overall goal in life is his family. Mm. Whether it's my mom or me and my three brothers. It's okay. Oh. that's that's his everything mm. you know and and me and my my three brothers we've always criticized him for you know not being as entrepreneurial let's say <laughs> right like Gosh, dad, you could have invested in this or you could have invested in this but i think he wanted to play it safe he wanted to make sure that his family was taken care of but yes. that there wasn't risk happening and i get it now but i didn't get it growing up wow till i had my own kids i completely um and <laughs> i think we both are emotional here um do you want to take a break or maybe a glass of water or something no i'm fine uh, okay well um i uh, exactly same thing for my dad too uh, he didn't buy a car until i was a dentist would you believe it wow that's amazing so he didn't have a car until i was a dentist it's, <laughs> and then i was joking i used to joke with him and i said dad i think you wanted to buy the car for yourself because I'm right. gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he finally got you out of the house. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> You're self-sufficient now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. It's I know it's pretty emotional, but um, uh, thank you. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, so let's switch gear a little bit here and uh, talk about your morning ritual. 
you okay. know, do you have any morning ritual that you get up in the morning about meditation, running, exercise, water, yeah. whatever? My my morning ritual has definitely changed since I've had my son. Sure. So my morning ritual used to be wake up as as late as possible to give me time <laughs> to get ready. Um you know, eat some breakfast and go. Hmm. Now my morning ritual is I usually don't set an alarm unless I have a very early case. Okay. My alarm is my son. Hmm. And, you know, that's pretty, he wakes up between, let's say, six and seven. Yeah. And I try to be with him for, you know, almost two hours in the morning. Hmm. So we eat breakfast together. We um, get him dressed. We play toys for hmm. a long time. Sure. And it kind of just grounds me. Right. And allows me to think about the day a little bit, mm. but remember what's important. Mm. Okay. And so doing a little bit less clinical clinical days has allowed me to have those mornings with my son. It also gives me a chance to give my wife a break. Yeah. Because she's with my son all day. Sure. And so she can sleep in a little bit <laughs> and recharge because I know she's not going to have an easy day with him. Yeah, yeah. Children, children are demanding. Yes. So, uh, so the days you're working. So, what time do you start in the morning uh, on your clinical days in the office? Clinical days, I usually start at eight. So, on those days, I don't have as much time with my son. Okay. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with my startup, it's a little more free. Mm -hmm. So I can maybe start later, work later, type of thing. And um, so that's been nice. Okay. Been so nice. the days you're not going to the off uh, to the dental office you're yes. you know spending time with the kid and then start your journey whatever later yes so okay yeah and um um okay interesting now all right i'll come back to it i think i have one more okay. question brewing but it's um we'll get there yeah um so <clears throat> if you could go back in your career or life mm -hmm. And change one decision. What would that be? I don't know if I have that one decision, but I would say one. Let's say attribute. Sure. I would say that I had a big ego mm. early in my early in my life. I would say definitely around college time. I had a big ego that I wish I would have not had. Oh, really? Going back going back. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people would say this about me. I don't mm -hmm. think like if you ask my best friends, they would say, "Oh no, Kyle doesn't have a big ego." But I was very opinionated. Mm, okay. And opinionated sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Mm. So I would say I would have been more I don't even know what the word is. Yeah, I mean, less opinionated? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say that would be it. Looking back on it, I, see, I I remember like, you know, debates that I had with people thinking, what a waste of time. Sure. All right. Um, so what is one of the hardest decisions you had to make over the past year or two? Oh, wow. I mean, I would say that is limiting my clinical experience and going forward with Pearl. You know, for for me, I had been a clinical dentist for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so to say, now I'm going to limit my clinical days, only take certain cases, 
and you know focus on this tech startup mm. it was a, a big change for me a big change for me and it was a very big decision yeah because you're spending time but you don't know if it's going to be as successful or as immediate yeah. return to you it's right. a long game um, it is a long game it is a big risk big reward mm-hmm. so there's there's that aspect to it so that was a that was a difficult a difficult decision but i think it came at the right time because it came at a time when i was very stressed with managing a dental dental practice hmm. managing patients doing dentistry 4 or 5 days a week hmm. so that aspect made it a little bit easier but it, it still didn't make it an easy decision got it so how did you come up to decide in favor of pearl what what was you talking what was your thought process at that stage you know what i'm losing money i understand but this is for the long term good which may all make sense but what made gave you the confidence to you know move to pearl or ai i, I think that what i found was that when i was working with ofir and working on ai i was less stressed mm-hmm. so i think for me it was an overall health you know mind body connection that i think would be good for me long term Okay. I found that when I was in the practice, I was oftentimes stressed out, mm. and when I was in, you know, working on AI, I wasn't. Now, isn't that strange that, you know, with you having so much experience with so many great mentors, you know, uh starting from Dr. Uh, Pascal, Christian Cushman, you know, and so on, you're still stressed out in clinical dentistry, <laughs> right? Right? I mean, imagine yeah. uh, an average dentist who doesn't have all of that uh yeah. you know, uh it's still stressful yeah i agree and you know maybe it was because my mentors are so great that i had this very high bar that i set for myself fair enough you know if everything i did wasn't excellent it i i would beat myself up fair if enough. everything i did wasn't successful if everything i did wasn't the best i had ever seen or the best i had done to mm. that day and mm. i would beat myself up so th- it's a two-edged sword i think having these really yeah having these really <laughs> um well-known mentors i you know? completely agree with that yeah. yeah i think we are the enemies of ourselves in this situation for sure right great thank you um Uh, by the way all these questions are from Tim Ferriss. I am a big fan of Tim Ferriss. Uh he's uh, great. I've read a lot of his books. Yeah, you you did. Uh so yeah. since we're talking about books, I think it's a good uh segue there. Uh what books have you read of Tim Ferriss? Let's start with that. Then maybe something else. What yeah, books Yeah, so I read a I read a lot of business books while I was in my residency. Hmm. And it was nice cuz I would read it, you know, like on the beach in Brazil and stuff. <laughs> But I read Oh gosh, I can't think of all of them. A lot of the classic business books like The One Minute Manager and um oh gosh, what are the names of these? Mm-hmm. But books not about dentistry, books about um marketing mm-hmm. and build oh um one's called like Raving Fans, something Raving like fans. that. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of these business books I read and that gave me a good start on how to run a business. I learned a lot from Dr. Najad as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't read very many business books now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um yeah. any any specific book that kind of 
spiritually or business wise that actually um, connect connected with you the most there was a book called everything is marketing and yep. it is uh, by the guy who started 1-800 dentists yes yes and it's a really good book. I mean, not only for dentists, yes. but it's it's definitely geared towards dentists. That was a really, really good read. So mm. I would recommend that to anybody. I, I completely agree with that. And you're not the first one who's, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, who's uh, by... Said that? Y- yeah, who said that, who's uh-huh. really like... Uh, uh, it's by Fred Joyle. Yeah, Fred Joyle, just, that's right. Yep. Yeah, I was listen, li- listening to, looking for his name. I forgot the name too. I'm not good at names. Um, so Yeah, nobody... <laughs> Uh, so, so everything is marketing by uh, Dr. Fred Joel. Um, anything else? Yeah, maybe, maybe book not. wise. Yeah, book wise or podcast well, I would wise. Have to say so. Let's go clinical first. Um, I think one of the best dental books to come out is Thomas Linkovicious, uh, his book Zero Bone Loss Concepts. Okay. Totally is a game changer in implant dentistry. Whether you're doing the restorative side or the surgical side, I think it is. it will become a classic kind of Bible oh. of, of implant dentistry. So it's it sells out like every week. Um, quintessents can't keep enough of them. Really? So clinical side, highly, highly recommend that one. Um, that's, you know, that's one that we, that we talk about in our courses. Right. On a non-clinical book, there's a book called Why We Sleep. And it's by, I think his name is Matthew Walker. And he's one of the premier experts in sleep hmm. and oh my gosh my wife always gives me crap because i talk about it so much <laughs> my dad read it and i read it and i've listened to a lot of his podcasts he actually has a podcast with joe rogan too that, that joe rogan interviewed him hmm. and wow it was mind-blowing how important sleep is and how it affects children and older people and our eating habits and our happiness and oh my gosh so that i would highly recommend why we sleep Got it. It's, it gets into the weeds, though. So I think it's it's good for dentists because it talks about research and it's very very science based, which mm. I love. Mm. You know, as a as a as a researcher myself. I was gonna and say. I think that that's one of the new things that will happen in dentistry over the next five years is every dentist will learn about sleep apnea. Yeah. And we will be the screeners for this. Mm. Right. Yeah. Sleep apnea is another beast. I think uh, my understanding of sleep apnea even though i want to do it and whatnot and it doesn't really work out with many dentists because of the 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 loops they have to you're exactly right uh cross to get paid for the work being done they were like i can do two extra crowns man i don't want to get into right right, right you know right. the medical insurance thing uh yeah. if somebody can make it really predictable maybe only then you know things would work out otherwise it's going to be hard. It's going to be really yeah, hard. I, I think that will come. I think when when the medical world, let's say, realizes that there's money in having dentists do this because the medical insurance companies will make money if we can stop their patients from having these big medical problems. Right. So when they realize that, they'll be able to make it easier for dentists to do minimally invasive treatment to to save people's lives. I mean, this is uh, obstructive sleep apnea, and I'm in no way an expert in this, but I, I know a little bit, um, really can is something that can save people's lives. Right. Um, wasn't that the... You know? Now, what other podcast uh, did you listen to, uh, if at all? Yeah, so I do listen to uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. Sure. I think, he's, I think he has a good balance of 
science, with entertainment, with cars, with, with everything that I kind of <laughs> like. Yeah. There's a, a good podcast by Spike Ferriston, who is actually the writer of Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. And, and it's mostly around cars because I'm a, I'm a big car guy. Okay. I love uh, Porsches, so old <laughs> and new Porsches. Yeah. So I love that one. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, I try to make, let's say, 80% of my podcast listening more entertainment-based. Right, right. And 20% is, you know, I'll listen to um, implant stuff or yeah. smile design stuff or yeah. research or or uh, something like that. Yeah. I mean, come on. You've been researching for so, such a long. I think you need a break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, I enjoy my time driving. You know, in L.A., we have a lot of traffic, so I get to listen to a lot of podcasts, actually, sure. which is which yeah. is kind of nice. I did listen to two kind of crime drama podcasts. Okay. One was called Dirty John, which was really good. Mm. And another one was called 22 Hours. Hmm. Uh, if anybody likes kind of crime um, yeah. podcasts. Yeah. I didn't realize I liked those type of podcasts. Mm -hmm. And I listened to them and I really enjoyed them. Maybe I couldn't. I couldn't wait to get back in my car to listen to them. Actually, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll try that. Uh, I haven't. I haven't tried anything because I believe, first of all, I don't have enough time. Uh, so I was like, okay, whatever time I have, I think I should try to improve myself, and that's right. why that's what I've, I'm trying to do here with the, this podcast yeah. also. So, well, I did listen to Robert Downey Jr. with uh, Joe Rogan. It was a good oh, I haven't podcast. listened to that one yet. Yeah, listen to that. Uh, it's it, okay. it gets a little deeper. Yeah, you know good. how Robert Downey thinks and talks, and I loved loved it. So what do you like to do the most in dentistry, in clinical dentistry, um, like procedure-wise? Yeah, procedure -wise. I really love, I would say the single implant is is my ideal. I love like anterior <laughs> single implants, you know, immediate placement, immediate provisionalization, mm. um, guided surgery. That's probably my favorite thing to do. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, now, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? That, that's a really good question. People oftentimes don't ask me what made me so driven. Mm. And I think what made me so driven was that I have three older brothers and we were always involved in sports. Okay. And in general, we were, you know, pretty good athletes. Mm. Well, one of my, you know, uh, two of my um, brothers were All-American water polo players, and they, they won a lot of championships. And my, my other brother and I were really high-level hockey players. And mm. um, so we were always in competition. Now, of course, we were in competition with each other. Right. And we were in competition with, with other people that we were playing against. But I just had three great examples of, well, I guess four if you include my dad. So I had, like, you know, three boys above me and my dad. Mm were just great people and I wanted to prove that I could be let's say successful in one way or the, or the other oh interesting yeah see um, I wouldn't have come to know I mean it's that your your motivation I wouldn't have guessed it at all I wouldn't have mm -hmm. guessed that at all I think um, I think that's probably one of the reasons those um, if somebody's coming from a developing country you know, like, yeah. you know, they usually come to a country like uh, U.S. Or, or, or U.K., Canada, whatever, um, to a developed nation. They are already geared up or motivated to do more. 
right? Um, you know, in a in a in a way because that's how their culture kind of trains them, and I think mm-hmm. that's what your upbringing was like. Your brothers kind of training you in a way to do more and better because they were older than you and you know achievers in their own ways. So yes, hmm, interesting. Great, thank you. Um, now, what do you think is one habit? that makes you so successful? I would say lifelong learning. Mm. I am constantly trying to get better. I'm constantly trying to be smarter. I'm trying to learn. I think recently over the last few years, I guess it's not a habit, but I've tried to bring my ego down Mm. and realize what I could improve on. But this is something that was instilled to me at USC when I went to school there is this idea of lifelong learning. Hmm. You know, I'm always reading research. Hmm. I'm always watching videos of other doctors. I'm listening to podcasts about, you know, how to be a better dad, how to be a better father. I like you doing this podcast and you know similar to Tim Ferriss, yeah. I love the idea of learning from other people and constantly lifelong learner. So I would say my habit would be being a lifelong learner. I, I, I want to know more. I want to get better. And now, this is, I think I have a similar problem. I want to learn more too. Um, but then I was maybe reflecting on this thing uh, a couple of months or years, months, whatever, time ago. And, um, and I was like, how do, I, how do I unlearn what I already know hmm. to accept what I'm trying to learn right now. Yeah, these are like these dogmas, right? This happens a lot in dentistry is that people mm. get trained a certain way. Mm-hmm. The people that are training them really believe in this type of training. Mm-hmm. And so it comes across as this is the best way to do it. But then when we have another way of doing it that mm-hmm. may even be better, maybe less invasive, but it doesn't have the dogma behind it, we lose out on this opportunity of learning. So, how do you talk yourself into? So, something is working for you in in a, in in some way. Let's say, mm-hmm. you know, anterior implant that yeah. you always do it in a certain way, uh, and it has given you good results for all these I don't know ten yeah. years or so. Mm-hmm. How do you unlearn and that, or even try to try a new thing? Do you see what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I think for me, it is finding people that I respect and I really have to trust them. Mm. Now, I also like it when there's research behind it, too. Okay. You know, if someone just comes and says, hey, this is better, this is a better way to do it, even if I really respect them, I may try it, but I may take it slow. But if they come and say, hey, here's the research on it and this is why we do it, then I, I'll dive in. Ah, okay. So you have two components helping you yes. deciding. In that, so that is clinical. What about a day-to-day life? There is no research about you know <laughs> how to be a good father, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, that's more like a an observational study, you know, <laughs> <laughs> seeing someone and you know seeing how they are in their marriage, seeing how they are with their kids. Sure. If they appear to be successful, not in, not in financial terms, but successful in life mm. and happy and um, respected, then I'll have to take it at face value and make my own decisions on that. Mm. Great. Thank you. Um, next, if you have a giant billboard such that 
hypothetically speaking, if you have a giant billboard such that you could display a great message or a quote for everyone to follow, of course, not about Pearl or you know your podcast. Yeah. What about mm-hmm. what would you like to tell people? I think I would tell people either to be kind to each other, understanding, hmm. or I would tell them to be a good parent. I think that so many of the problems that we have in our society hmm. are because young children are dealing with traumas from bad parenting or lack of parenting, mm-hmm. and they they bring this into their adult life. And you know, in no in no way am I uh, a perfect parent, but it's one of my goals to mm-hmm. be a perfect parent. Right. So I would say, yeah, I would probably go with you know, be a be a mom, be a dad today, something like that. Thank you. Um, now, there's one more question which I love to ask. Um, I recently added on the list. Give me a second. Great. Here. Sure. Um, now, and I've got a few more minutes left, know, both I on my, both on my battery and on my. Yep. End of my time. I, so the room that I'm in doesn't have a plug for my. my that's okay. Uh, so laptop. what is what is one thing that you've changed your mind on in the past one year or two years? I think this is what we were discussing before, which is my identity. Mm, right. My identity not being synonymous with my profession. Got it. And I think once we have. You know, when we're single and we have our profession, like your identity should be a profession, you know, mm-hmm. when you're when you're there. But once you have more than yourself, when you have a family of your own, mm-hmm. your identity should not be your profession. Right. Now, uh, I'll ask you one last question and I think we can wrap up after that. Uh, Great. One thing that you do is absurd or funny. that I do that is absurd or funny. <laughs> I dance a lot. Oh great. You know, I, yeah, so I grew up as uh I was actually a professional dancer by the time I was I think it was 8. Hmm. So I I love to dance. It's probably one of my favorite things to do in <laughs> in all of life. I feel the most free, I feel happy. Um I really enjoy life when I'm dancing. So at my house, mm-hmm. we dance a lot. We put on music and we just dance silly, you know, with my son and with my wife. So that would probably be it. Me doing random dance moves going from room to room. <laughs> Thank you. Uh that is uh that was an entertaining answer at the last at the end. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thanks for the invitation. Nice to meet you. Hope to meet you in person sometime. Yeah, sure. Like All you. right. Thanks, Max. See you. Would you like to get a really small email a couple times a month to see what hashtag #pod is up to? What are we reading? What are we listening to? What are we doing? What stupid, funny, entertaining and some weird stuff that we gotten ourselves into? Then go to podcastsofdentistry.com/extra. E X T R A. That's right. podcastsofdentistry.com/extra and you will get a really small email from us. to give you that little extra kick and keep you busy exploring the world we travel you can also find us on facebook at podcastsofdentistry.com/facebook thank you for listening #pod and i'll see you inside